0: The Fellowship Community is a network of churches and leaders called together to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ by growing in Christ-likeness, living by God's word and joining in God's mission in the world.
1: Leadership pipelines are key for church planting ecosystem. A problem that we had was how do we create a leadership pipeline of innovators when we've trained people not necessarily to be innovators, but to preach great sermons and to do hospital calls. It's just a totally different kind of work. So we really had to work at widening the plausibility structures for who can do this work and who we can include in this work.
0: This is TFC Conversations, an audio and video production from the fellowship community. This month, Mike McClenahan, board president of the fellowship community and pastor of Solana Beach Presbyterian Church in Solana Beach, California, interviews Nick Warness. Nick is the director of Cyclical LA. Thanks so much for joining us. Here now is Mike and Nick.
2: Hey, listen, I remember the first time I ever heard your name or saw your face was on a video that was uh, going around about the new worshiping community of Northland Village Church. And I know that was kind of the very beginning for you of Cyclical. How did that all come about? Yeah, good question.
1: So, uh, I mean, I was a young life kid, uh, not tied to a church church. I heard about Jesus when I was 18 years old and then uh, ended up uh, going to college, a baseball scholarship, and uh, I actually got cut from the baseball team on September 11, 2001. That was a difficult day. Uh, And two days later, I got invited to lead a new Young Life Club at Jenison High School in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So um, I immediately fell in love with starting new things, starting new Mm -hmm. ministries, uh, that led toward uh, going to Fuller Seminary after that, <clears throat> where uh, I became a member at Glendale Presbyterian Church, which I know you're very connected to. Right, right. My, uh, my seminary days were not filled with memories of systematics and Greek, um, but rather just with being a member at Glendale Presbyterian Church and, um, and, and enjoying that church family. So that led to uh, a connection with the San Fernando Presbytery, and the Presbytery had been doing good work and trying to figure out how to start new churches. Uh, They had learned they needed to leave that kind of post-World War II industrial church planting model that revolved around properties and professional Christians in the middle of church buildings, attracting people through denominational allegiances to Wednesday night Bible studies and Sunday worship services. Mm -hmm. You, You know the shtick there. Yep. Um, so, what we learned uh, from the Evangelical Covenant Church, uh, actually, they taught us that we need to shift our perspective from location, location, location to leadership, leadership, leadership. Huh. <clears throat> so, the presbytery said, "Yeah, we agree, um, but where are we going to find leaders? We're we're good at some things as a presbytery, we're not good at other things, and they included the not good at other things side of the equation as uh, developing innovative leaders." Hmm. But it just so happened um, that I had connected uh, with the Presbytery through my membership at Glendale Presbyterian Church. Uh, we started working together and kind of discerned, and then I was assessed as a potential church starter and then mm-hmm. trained, and uh, we decided to go for it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So that, that I don't know, that encompasses 10 years uh, mm-hmm. right there. But what ended up happening was uh, we imagined how can we be a small church that generates multiple churches out of our small church? Mm-hmm. And that was really the, uh, the start of a lot
2: of the innovation. There's great things that happened with Northland Village Church, from art walks to brewfests. Mm-hmm. To- yeah, that's you know, Nick. That's the thing that I got most excited about when I saw your video was we were right in the middle of our conversations of what it means to be a missional church, being on a mission mm-hmm. with God, and uh, what does it mean to move into the neighborhood. And when when I saw that video, that's exactly what you did in Atwater, yeah. just south of Glendale, between Glendale and Los Angeles. Um, and I thought, wow, you guys are doing it. You're, you don't have any programs except what you're doing to serve the community. You got to let them set the agenda. I thought that was cool.
1: Yeah. Listening to neighbors and you know, being in mutual relationships with neighbors, all the missy missiological miss, things that we want to encourage people toward. Yeah. Uh, we started embodying. It was, it was fun. It was a fun ride. Uh, what came out of all that. Uh, but at the top of that list was generating these 15 new churches out of our church in the first five years. So yeah, that generative time, um, I just, I hold really closely in my heart is a Mm -hmm. special moment in life ministry.
2: Yeah. And then you and I met for lunch. Amy and I met with you uh, in Glendale at Golden Road, had a great lunch. And, um, And I was interested in finding out more about cyclical because we were talking about how do we plant churches in the San Diego Presbytery. And so that was four years ago, we developed a partnership with cyclical to create cyclical san diego uh, which has been really transformative for us as a or at least beginning of transformation in our presbytery which has been a cool thing so how has cyclical how cyclical grown well first of all before we ask you that give me just what before we get off of church planting quickly here give give us what kind of the unique thing about cyclical the the cycle of of church planting that makes cyclical cyclical I mean, it just tied
1: a lot of it to our our what was already there with our Presbyterian system. We have the whole inquiry phase you know, of ordination. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really beautiful that we provide this year for people to inquire, uh, is this really what we want to do? And then all the multi-tiered relationships that go with that as you're working with people, discerning the Holy Spirit and community, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we gathered our those original 15 leaders uh, to create what would soon become cyclical LA, um, what happened was, people started showing up who were thinking about starting new churches mm. to these trainings, mm-hmm. to these gatherings. Yep. And we said to these discerners, like, Hey, if you want to come gain these competencies with the starters, you can do that. But actually the season that you're in of discernment is really important. We want to tend to that really well. Mm-hmm. So we just separated them out and said, okay, let's work with discerning church starters. And sometimes discerning church starters become church starters. Let's work mm-hmm. with them to, and sometimes church starters sometimes it turns into churches mm-hmm. and let's work with local churches as well to identify the next generation of discerning church starters
2: yeah i love that so so, that, so your leadership model you you've said you you're you're not just planting like planting a tree you're actually growing a garden you're you're growing a garden of leadership and out of that garden comes a lot of of good things so that's cool
1: yeah, I mean, leadership pipelines are key for church planting ecosystems, right? And mm-hmm. for from my, some ordained Presbyterian pastor, PCUSA, and uh, a problem that we had was how do we create a leadership pipeline of innovators when we've trained people, not necessarily to be innovators, but to to preach great sermons mm-hmm. and to do hospital calls mm-hmm. uh, and to do that kind of. It's just a totally different kind of work. So we really had to work at widening the plausibility structures for who can do this work and who we can who we can who we can include in this work. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you said, it, it ties into some of our Presbyterian ethos and polity. You know, our Book of Order actually says that we should be re- ready to risk our lives for the gospel. And yet Presbyterians aren't really known for shrewd risk-taking and innovation, but it really is part of our story. And then it also, in a very tangible, practical way, this pro- the cyclical process also jives with our denominations, um, a new worshiping community effort. Right. So there's right. grants to be had and good partnership through Cyclical. So now, so uh, all these years later after you started Northland Village Church, um, started Cyclical LA, uh, we started Cyclical San Diego. How has Cyclical expanded? What's what's happening? How do you describe Cyclical now?
1: Oh, good question.
2: Um, so yeah, we started Cyclical
1: LA, what, six years ago, I think. And then my coaches and mentors said, hey, you need to be ready. Other denominations, middle, upper judicatories are gonna be interested and wanna talk. So that's when I started Cyclical Incorporated. Um, And uh, we had a good run um, up up to COVID. I I think we started like 17 ecosystems around the world, lots in Canada, lots in the United States, one in Europe. Um, And yeah, the, the fruit's been strong. It's been around church starting though, but what we came to understand the last year is that uh, the processes that we've put together really fit best with an overarching umbrella of faithful innovation, Hmm. over and against just church starting. So our mission statement used to be uh, to create and sustain churches, to create and sustain ecosystems for starting new churches. And that was you know, lovely and accurate and also potentially the least inspiring sentence in the history of humanity. So we wanted to get something a little more thrilling. We moved uh, away from a mission statement to uh, Simon Sinek's why, how, what framework.
3: Hmm.
1: So we start with a why statement now. And so kind of our center why statement is God's love for the world, inspiring faithful innovation through the church. Hmm. So hopefully you can see that that now certainly allows us to include church starting. So we're gonna keep trying to start hundreds of churches all over the world. Mm-hmm. So how do we do faithful innovation? Certainly through starting new churches. Yeah. But we've also added some other hows to this. So how are we gonna do faithful innovation? Well, we're gonna write books. And so we started a cyclical content actually with Mike's son, Brendan, mm-hmm. who's done a brilliant job of starting a publishing company with us.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: How are we gonna do faithful innovation? Well, we're starting cyclical social enterprise. Which is gathering CEOs and executive directors uh, for mutual collegiality, but also for identifying and bringing up the next generation of entrepreneurs doing discipleship in the Michael marketplace. Mm. We're starting cyclical full circle, which is working with existing churches to create cultures of experimentation for the purpose of making new disciples.
3: Mm.
1: And we're going to work at making new disciples in existing churches by doing experiments, basically better aligning with the mission of God. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all these new hows are popping, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think gives us a lot more space to, to be who we really are and supporting the church.
2: Yeah, and you, so you wrote a book, uh, you, you, you actually gathered some of your cyclical folks around the country to write uh, Faithful Innovation to talk about post-COVID church, which is a great uh, tool. And we're working on a book uh, in the San Diego Presbytery, Cyclical San Diego, work working on a book to build on this idea of of growing a garden um, of leaders so that's really that's really cool so I know that right now everybody's talking about what's the new normal people are talking about pivoting um, talking about how are we going to do things differently I know of a church that uh, has called a new staff member to do an online new church yeah. um, or at least pursue that what does online look like for us so so I think you said it but what is it about innovation that is so important? Especially when we're talking about to Presbyterians, right? You know the joke: How many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? I don't. I probably committee joke though. I'd assume it's coming. <laughs> no, whoever said anything about change? Oh, it's even okay. Better. <laughs> okay, so 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 we're not all that great at innovation. We, you know, we, you know, we've always done it that way. Is what we always seem to end up saying, and we fall back on our tradition. We fall back on the parts of our polity that we think are, you know, the kind of the, the bedrock, but it, it really keeps us from changing. We end up, our roots go down and we can't move. we become like the temple instead of the mm-hmm. tabernacle. Right? Nice, so nice. so what, what have you seen, especially in Presbyterian churches, what is so important about innovation in the church? I, I, mean, I remember
1: speaking at some PCUSA 1001 thing, and uh, I did the same shtick like three or four years in a row. And I got to watch, I used to put up on the whiteboard, missional and attractional. Mm-hmm. And early on in that conversation, no one understood missional. Everyone understood attractional. And I got to see that kind of change over the years. Everyone, not just everyone, a higher ratio of people now understand missional mm-hmm. uh, in, in a deep and rooted way, I think, in, in mm-hmm. the best kind of way.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, and then I got to see the same thing happen as people began to understand technical leadership versus adaptive leadership. Mm-hmm. Early on, there's lots of, what, what does this mean? What does this mean? I think a lot of people now understand the differences between technical versus adaptive leadership. So I would wonder, Mike, what you would think about if we intersected the technical versus adaptive leadership in on this conversation as we move through and out of COVID, how do you think those two aspects of leadership will impact the decisions we make?
2: Mm. Well, um, I think we're all thinking technical right now. Like I just had a staff meeting where we were talking about how many people we're going to, you know, have in worship services, how many chairs, it's been all about technical solutions, right? Six feet apart, pods of families. Um, um, But I think we're going to be getting at some bigger issues of what does it mean to be the church? And I think people are so used to every, all the chairs being set up for them. How are people (laughs) becoming, how are people becoming the church? And I'm starting to say that in preaching as we're preparing for regathering, like I know we have expectations for what the church is going to be, but we are the church. Remember, we don't go to church. And I think that's an adaptive shift for people to take responsibility. I'll, I'll give you another example. For me, we have gone through two years of encouraging our people to spend time alone with God um, and to grow their intimacy with God rather than just expecting the church to do more programs. What they find mm-hmm. is that the longer you're in a church, the more likely you're to complain that the church doesn't provide what you need and you're more likely mm-hmm. to leave the church. And I think the, there's an adaptive, so what, technically we think, well, what new classes, what new programs can we provide for people right. when really the adaptive shift is, I, I think this is adaptive. Is how do we make disciples? Mm-hmm. How are we making how are we helping people become disciples who are growing in their love for God and for others? Mm-hmm. That that to me is more than how do we do things better? It's shifting what we do. It's pivoting. And I think that for me, I think COVID is stripping away some of the things that are creating new room for those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. So what are you, what are you finding? What are you yeah, finding? I, mean, I,
1: I just, I agree. I mean, the technical changes can be difficult um, and I wanna honor those, um, but they are achievable. There's clear metrics on them. Okay, so now your worship facility, your church building can hold a thousand people. You can only be at 25%, you can 250 people, how are we gonna mm-hmm. I mean, It's gonna take some work and some sweat, but you'll be able to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Adaptive change, especially as we move through and out of COVID, feels like really challenging work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's always really challenging work because the metrics aren't clear. The protocols aren't there. Yeah. So the thing I'm worried about and what you're seeing around the country and around the world, but I feel like um, bandwidth is low as we come through and out of COVID. Yeah. So the prayer is... God, please, the energy needed, the courage needed uh, to make the adaptive changes that need to be in place in order to not just create a new normal, but Mm -hmm. a better normal for the Mm -hmm.
2: church Mm -hmm.
1: feels essential. And I'm quite worried about that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can we let, I think the, I do think, I think that the technical change, the difference between the old technical problems and the new ones is that They may be achievable, but we've never done it before. And it takes so much more energy and to get everybody on board together. And then the fear of, especially in churches like ours that are well-established, is making decisions that will be offensive to people. And right now we are in such a divided world with little face-to-face communication. It's so easy to offend. And I think people are shifting to other churches. I think It's very discouraging and depleting for pastors and leaders to think about doing anything creative and innovative. And one of the things I've found, and I wonder what you think about this, is that innovation and um, leadership right now is really best done in community. We're longing for support from each other, to hear each other's stories, to see what we're trying, what are we doing differently, what's working, what's not working. And honestly, a place where I can say, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, I don't know. I, I don't know, this is this is a rough week. And mm-hmm. during innovation, it's hard. It's hard work, mm-hmm. right? So, yes. anyway, I, I, you know, I when, when you say the word innovation, I'm wondering how many people think, well, there are innovators, there are early adopters and there are laggards. <laughs> Yeah. You know, can, how, how do you, how, how can people who are not used to leading change? I mean, you are innovations in your blood. Mm-hmm. It's in your DNA. How do you engage pastors who were not naturally innovative in innovative conversations? Have you um, heard of uh, what's it called genius syndrome before? No. Um,
1: it comes from a book called, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Mm -hmm. I would highly recommend it. It almost reads like a little devotional. Uh, It talks a lot about, uh, it's for creators, people who create. And uh, there's a heavy emphasis on resistance in that book, that which creates resistance in us from implementing and creating the change that needs Mm -hmm. to be created. And uh, he highlights in that book, um, genius syndrome. And what he talks about is, um, like, let's just say... Uh, Mike, you wanted to become the best fisherman that ever existed. Okay. And <clears throat> genius syndrome might say to you, well, there's actually this human. I don't know who the best fisherman in the world is. Do you? That would no. be, I don't even know if that's, <laughs> let me Google that real quick. Uh, my, brother, say, my
2: brother, let's say it's my brother Kirk. My okay, brother Kirk.
1: Kirk, Kirk. Kirk is the best fisherman in the world. He is a fisherman. I can't be like him, so Mm -hmm. therefore, I'm just not even going to do it. Mm. That's a key resistance uh, that people have uh, when it comes to seeing other people to do this and thinking they can't do it. The reality is, is that innovative processes, experimentation, uh, being willing to put yourself out there to try something new, these are skills that can be learned and that anyone can do. So I'm wondering, Mike, would you consider yourself a naturally innovative person? Is it something that you've just learned along the way? Because I know that yeah. I know that you've done a lot of innovation in your ministry.
2: Um, I like creating new things. I like I like I also like holding on to things that work. I'm very very protective of systems or processes that we've created that seem to work because I know how hard it is to create things that are effective. Mm-hmm. So my problem is I don't want to let go of the things that have been working because I know yeah. how much well, I know I, I I I know how much work it takes to do that other thing. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, um, I'm not sure. I, I think I'm I think I'm naturally uh, inquisitive and curious about what else we could be doing differently to make it better. Right. Yeah, because I, th- I think
1: and I don't want to speak for you, but I've known you long enough where there is a, a undergirding foundation of discontentment uh, with the quote unquote results that we're getting in mm-hmm. light of having the gospel, having the good news with us mm-hmm. and just seeing decline after decline uh, at least in the church in the West. Yeah. And man, I think we can just do better. Mm-hmm. And I am totally biased here, um, but certain there's certainly multiple aspects in order, uh, they need to be implemented for things to get better. But innovation has to be one of the larger aspects for how we can innovate our way into, again, not just a a new normal, but a better normal for the church.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what do you think, um, what are some good questions for innovation? If, If people were to go back to their session or to their leadership team or steering team, and say, let's work through a few questions that would help us discover the new thing that God has for us. Especially now, as we are looking at a post-COVID church, what what are some tools we could give people?
1: You know, something, whenever I work with middle or upper judicatories around the world, uh, something they're always concerned with is, hey, if we do create a space for innovators, is anyone gonna show up? And, Over and over again, with one exception, people have created these spaces, and people show up, and you know what they say every time? Hmm. These leaders show up, a leadership pipeline is created, and what happens is they say, finally, someone gave good and safe space for people like me, who are oftentimes very apostolic, to go and to create. So I would just want to ask pastor, I think pastors should be asking church leaders should be asking, do we have a safe space for the, those amongst us to do the work of innovation?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's that. Uh, another one that stands out is uh, assuming there is that type of space. Um, how can we keep those people safe in that space mm-hmm. um, from Others who in the church who might not want to see systems changing and moving, so mm-hmm. like a, almost like a skunkworks of sorts. You know that that word, a skunkworks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's it's like a it's a set apart group uh, in an institution that's safe to just go with R and D and create and try new things. And uh, they're going to try ten things, and hopefully two of them really pop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's sort um, of
2: innovation around the edges, or. Where where are the places where we could experiment with some things and see and legitimately do an experiment to see does this work rather than change the whole system or say no we don't think it'll work where do we create the space for the trial and error?
1: Absolutely, and it's and it's hard in a in a ecclesial setting right because uh, it's 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 hard for an innovator to feel safe because they supposedly have god on their side with them and they've discerned that god wants them to do this and if it doesn't mm-hmm. work and it fails terribly there's just like some psychological things that need to be worked through there yeah. But that is completely wrong way to think about it right it's a totally wrong way to think about it uh, we need to hold things lightly we need to hold things at the edges we need to throw seeds mm-hmm. throw seeds throw seeds test 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 Mm -hmm. and then pivot or pattern based off of the results of those tests. Mm -hmm. If we can, if every church can create a skunk works that does this at the edges, Mm -hmm. and then we can slow the things that take off, slowly build that into the center and allow that energy, all the new disciples, all the creative good work in the neighborhood to really start to filter into the whole of church. I mean, I can't imagine a more exciting place to be.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's, um, I have a, in our presbytery, I have a particular heart for younger innovative leaders and I actually wanna protect them. I I think what they need is they need people who, I don't know, use, use the word safe space. How do we run interference for them? Because you invite innovators into a system that is often status quo and they just give up. They go someplace else. So how do we make room in our structures for those innovators and that's why I think embracing church planting as a presbytery has helped me to think you know how do I as a person my age champion innovation and the same thing is true on our staff or within our church how do we create that's I think that's a really good thing I'm just thinking as you're saying that I'm thinking of well where are those places where we have safe innovation um, it's hard when the when the resistance is so strong to change and um, how do we how do we create that space? I like that a lot.
1: Even, I mean, so if you're a middle or upper judicatory leader, certainly creating a space at the edges for innovation to happen makes sense in your synod, or your classes, or your presbytery, yeah. or whoever the listeners are to this. Uh, for local church pastors, even if you do have you know, a, a, a leadership group uh, that is resistant to change, I think what, from what I've seen, even leadership groups that are resistant to change will do something like create a skunk works a distinct place
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, f- to run uh experiments for making new disciples mm-hmm. and uh and then allow those narratives to slowly come on in and shift the life of the church that's a really good move for a local mm-hmm. pastor local church leader
2: mm-hmm. i like that so um where do we create a safe space what well, uh, they, can you remember those questions you gave? safe space, um, mm-hmm. identifying who are, who are some innovators,
3: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: You as...
1: need those people, and they're probably in your midst. And if they're not, and, and if a too low of a ratio or in your midst, then people will want to participate in such an uh, endeavor if it's created well, mm-hmm. yeah. How do you, uh, then actually? It's, it's you know, it's sexy and easy to talk about starting new things. Mm-hmm. How do you actually create frameworks, systems uh, for starting the thing, for doing the experiment? So something like uh, a coaching relationship can be important here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something like like what you said, making sure you have a leader out in front blocking for you to make sure uh, no one is getting in the way of what Mm -hmm. needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. Uh, Certainly processes evaluation on each experiment. Mm -hmm. And then processes of prayer and decision making as to whether or not to continue that experiment
3: Mm
1: -hmm. and to scale it or to uh, let it Mm
2: go—all
1: all all really important aspects.
2: I like those. I think my experience in the church and in and work in the presbytery is that people like new things as long as they don't have to be a part of it.
3: Yeah.
2: So all too often, you know, for example, we want to reach young adults. Let's start an evening service that nobody has to go to. And as long as we're doing that, but I think, I, I think my, my dream for the church right now is that there is a space where we have stripped away some of our expectations yeah. and that maybe we're willing to build something new that is inclusive of the new and not um, resistant to the new and not separate from the new. Not yeah. just starting something on, over there, but yeah. something that we could all embrace. Um, Nick, this has really been a, a great conversation. I know we'll talk some more at another time. I just would like to close by praying for you and for Cyclical. Can I do that? Thank you. Appreciate it. Right, Lord, Lord, thank you for this time together. I appreciate Nick and for his leadership. I thank you for the way you have shaped him and prepared him for his leadership right now and his experiences in young life and at Fuller and at Glendale Presbyterian Church, um, which I have a warm part warm part of my heart for. Um, uh, and, and starting Northland Village Church and how that has created this experience of innovation and this desire to see um, churches thrive through innovation. I just pray your blessing on him and the whole cyclical team and networks from San Diego and Los Angeles all across the world. Um, God, we pray that in your church, you would be glorified and that we would learn how to um, take shrewd risks and to innovate well, not for our own sake, but for the sake of your kingdom. Um, thank you for Nick and pray your blessing on him and his family and his team. Um, Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Nick.
0: You've been listening to TFC Conversations, an audio and video production of the Fellowship Community. For more information on the Fellowship Community and our upcoming regional gatherings, visit our website at www.fellowship.community. Join us next month as Mike interviews Jim Withrow, Retired pastor of Faith Presbyterian Church in Elado, Texas.
2: It's been so easy in the Presbyterian Church, as you just mentioned. In my opinion, yeah. to see so much social justice emphasis, but without the disciple-making element the, yeah. and love and the and the you know the presence of salvation, it just flitters away. It just mm-hmm. dilutes mm-hmm. in so many ways. And I think that's what and you know, that's what I see in this group is is that. Constantly reinforcing that, you know, Christ centered, not just the words, but making sure that's there in a very genuine way.